All right, ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to our brand new course, Advice for Life. Uh, we're clapping for the title. All right, and for you guys for being here today and for being here as well. On a, we have a, a, an international and local online crew. Uh, this course is all about Jewish advice, the advice shared by the Lubavitcher Rebbe, a blessed memory, to individuals going through real life challenges, real life issues. Reminds me of the story of the guy who goes to his doctor and <coughs> has an appointment. He's complaining about this and that and the other. And the doctor says, look, here's what I recommend. You need a complete overhaul of the way you live your life. We're talking about what you eat, what you do, how you work, where you go, where you hang out, your activities, your hobbies, everything's got to change. It says, all right, thanks for sharing. The doctor says, here's the bill, $500. He says, $500, what's that for? He says, what do you mean, what's that for? That's for the advice I gave you. He says, who's taking your advice? <laughs> so, so this course is called Advice for Life. And it's, you know, we've I've, I've taught a lot of courses. I think I wrote in the original email, I sent out an email, like, uh, I don't know, maybe a month ago or even more. You know, I've taught over, I don't know, I've th literally thousands of classes. This course is highly unique. A lot of classes we teach, that I teach, a lot of them are philosophical, academic, um, history. We've covered um, Kabbalah. We just covered Kabbalah. That was very deep Kabbalah. You know, we, we run the game. Jewish law, Jewish eth ethics. But this course, we've even covered like positive psychology and, and other things like that. Uh, parenting. And this course is like right in the wheelhouse of life itself. This is how to live a meaningful, productive, happy, healthy life, covering six of the major areas of life. Number one, and that's today's lesson, it's about work, work and wealth. Lesson two is about family and relationships. Lesson three is about physical health. Lesson four is about uh, mental and emotional health. Lesson five is about adversity and challenge. And lesson six, and resilience, lesson six is about spirituality, and religion. These are seven major areas of life that evoke lots of questions, questions of, you know, how do I deal with this stress or that stress? And, and, and you'll see as we develop the study, you'll see the way this course works. One major feature of this course, as we're getting ready for the 30th anniversary or the 30th yard site of the Rebbe, so the, the concept of this course is to really present the Rebbe's guidance um, about in all these areas, of course, drawn from Jewish values, but the way the Rebbe in his very unique style um, portrayed it and conveyed it to those that asked him questions. And we'll get, I'm going to give you a bit of the background as to why the Rebbe was an advisor to so many thousands of people. I'll, I'll describe that soon. But just so you know, this course is leaning heavily on the teachings, guidance, advice, mentoring of the Rebbe. And as part of that, this course is also unique. I've never taught a course that has so many videos. You know, I'm not like a PowerPoint guy. I'm sure you've noticed that, right? I'm not like a heavy PowerPoint guy, Mindy tells me, because Mindy's mom takes the JLI classes in Wilmette, Illinois. And Mindy, you've been taking JLI classes with me for 17 years. Is that possible? There you have it, since I literally moved to Atlanta. So you've taken, Mindy has taken with me every single JLI class. It's actually quite, huh? Even with my new 
Yeah, well, and you moved to Sandy Springs, so then we followed you. That's, that's the way, that's the way we, we roll. But here's the point. So her mom takes it and Wilmette, she always tells me that, the rabbi and Wilmette, Rabbi Flinkenstein, he's heavy on the PowerPoint. And I'm like, I'm usually more locked in, you know, not really too much on the, on the technology. However, this course is unique. There are, not one, not two, I feel like a late night infomercial, Ron Popeil. Remember that guy, Ron Popeil? Remember Ron Popeil? He was awesome. Anyway, this is, we have eight lesson videos that I will show you today, hopefully, if all goes well. Eight videos to show you um, that are going to augment and supplement this course. In other words, it's, it's kind of like this. Instead of me telling you what the Rebbe advised in any given situation, like real life situation, what if the Rebbe himself told you? That would be kind of cool. Or what if you heard it directly from the individual who heard it from the Rebbe firsthand? That would be even more powerful, and that's what we're doing here throughout this course. So that's a little bit about the setup. Um, I gave you the outline of, of the six lessons. Today we focus on wealth, sorry, work and wealth. And we're going to address the following questions. This is not the entire, the, these are not all the questions we're going to cover, but amongst the questions we'll cover today are the following. Number one, would it be better, perhaps, to occupy ourselves with, uh, with spiritual uh, matters rather than have a day job. I mean, conceptually, how does Judaism view the idea of work, job, career, the day-to-day grind, etc.? What role does trust in God and faith in God play in material success and wealth? Um, how can I possibly close my business on Shabbat if that's when I make the majority of my money, my income? These questions and more will be addressed today. The class today takes part, takes place in four parts, four acts. Act one, mentor to the masses. Act two, our relationship with wealth. Act three, why work? As opposed to we work. And act four, how to work. All right, friends, you are in for a treat. Let's rock and roll. Act one, mentor to the masses. So before we explore the actual guidance of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, I want to discuss for a moment who the Rebbe was. So here's a very quick bio. It's going to take place in like five seconds. The Rebbe was born in 1902 in Ukraine. By 1951, he was the leader of the global Chabad Lubavitch movement, which was headquarters and is headquartered in, who knows where it's headquartered? 770 Eastern Parkway in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, New York. Um, the synagogue back then in 1950, 1951, could hold about, like if everyone was squeezed in together, about 100 people. Smaller than this space, I want to say. Than our little daily shul here at CBT. So, a very small place. Um, but, over the decades, over the years, over the decades, the Rebbe transformed Chabad into a global powerhouse that has literally changed the world. There are over 5,000 Chabad centers around the world. Do you know how many centers there are in Georgia? 20. Is it 20-something? Because I don't know. I was actually asking because I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I know there are 36 Chabad couples, Chabad rabbis and rabbis and couples. Um, but I guess it's probably 36. There's some multiple per center. So I would imagine 20-plus Chabad centers in the state of Georgia. Um, around the world, again, over 5,000 5, centers, and that's probably seven or 8,000 
uh, couples, rabbis and rabbitsons, if you count each of them as two, that would be somewhat uh, somewhere in the realm of like 14, 15, 16,000 Chabad ambassadors around the world, literally inspiring and educating and providing Jewish opportunities for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jews. Um, and the proof is in the pudding. This building that we're in right here right now is due to the vision of the Rebbe to create Chabad centers and synagogues and Chabad houses, whether it's in a community as more of a shul or whether it's on campus as a place to inspire and feed very hungry, both spiritually and physically college students, right? So the Rebbe's vision was incredible. And, and one could say that when you look through the annals of Jewish history, I mean, what other Jewish leader who had a vision that went beyond their geographic location? There were many great leaders, many great leaders in their communities, even in their region. But which great Jewish leader said that I'm not content to build a solid infrastructure in my town or in my state or in my country, but I care about a Jew that no one even knows exists in Tasmania. I mean, who thinks along those lines? I'll tell you who thinks along those lines. I know you know where I'm going with this. The Rebbe thought along those lines. Sending ambassadors literally across the globe. I mean, I know in this room, I, I, I know without a doubt that many of you have been to very exotic places. And in those exotic places, you have encountered Chabad. All right, very quickly. What's the most exotic place that you've been to that has had a Chabad center? Go, blurt it out. Cayman Islands. Cayman Islands. St. Thomas, India. Thomas. Where? What's that? Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic. I mean, wherever, now, the guys that get the exotic gigs, not a bad gig. It's like, oh, man, I'm the ambassador to an island. Oh, to, although, although, it could get lonely on an island. So, whatever. But the point is that wherever you go, there's Chabad. In fact, in fact, they say that when, the, you know, when NASA went, to, when the, they landed on the moon the first time, right, and they were putting the, the flag, what you notice off camera is a Chabad house. That's a joke. They say there's two things wherever you go. There's Chabad and Coca-Cola. That's what they say. And sometimes there's not even Coca-Cola because it's a Pepsi. It's a Pepsi town. Anyway, the point is, the point is, the Rebbe was a leader and a visionary par excellence. In addition to that, he was a scholar, a tremendous scholar. I mean, his, the Rebbe's Torah, when you study the Rebbe's teachings and the Rebbe's insights into Torah, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's so deep and it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, the Rebbe's uh, published works total over 300 volumes of different teachings and writings and, and, and talks and discourses. It's the output, the scholarship output is incredible. So on two levels, on both levels, the Rebbe was really just a, 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 a phenomenal human being, both vis-a-vis -vis leadership and vis-a-vis -vis scholarship. But like LeVar Burton, did I get his name right? I'm trying to bring back Reading Rainbow of my youth. As LeVar Burton used to say, but don't take my word for it, Oh, where's my uh, videos here? <laughs> so close to a smooth transition. All right, I'm not going to. So if, if we need the lights out, then let me know. But let's see if this will work just like this. That way the transitions will be smoother. It isn't only the uh, Jewish community that values them. It's the worldwide community that so many come here to receive his blessing. 
Today, the Rebbe will begin for Syria of Warden a Congressional Moral Merit. A man who dedicated his life to heaven and others and to bringing people together. The Speaker of the House and I have been in disagreement, but there's one thing, there's at least one thing on which we do agree that is the warning for this level. It's a war. It's from Democrats and Republicans, liberals, conservatives, northern conservatives, black, white, and Hispanic, it goes all together. I remember the 70s, because Putin said that it was too much shadow. I love it compared to the money of Masarich. Doing a move did trouble. The player of Masarich was the one actually who built. Then it was kind of like he had a vision and first time and knowledge and everything else, but in, in practical life, he was an architect. He, he knew whom to send where. I think Shalir himself didn't know why he was sent somewhere. He knew. Then he was an architect in this part, in this respect, he knew how to build. And uh, therefore, I uh, am asked for the blessings of uh, the rabbi, of our great teacher. Uh, rabbi Schneerson is a great man in Israel. All of us respect him. All of us accept his judgment. He's a great uh, lover of the house of Israel. He has uh, shown his deep sentiment and love for our children. His blessings are very important to me. I do hope they will strengthen me on that very important mission I am going to fulfill uh, during the meetings with uh, President Carter, the President of the United States. A unique personality. No doubt that serves as a leader for tremendous number of Jewish people. A person that on one hand lives in the world of the Torah, but has got practical sense to the realities of the life everywhere in the world and great sensitivity for the preserving of the Jewish people. Okay, so that's just a snippet of, of uh, probably I would say well-known, can we call them well-known individuals? Speaking about, oh wait, oh hold on, there we go, it's looping. Uh, yeah, well-known individuals speaking about the Rebbe's vision, leadership, um, you know, scholarship, etc. And thus, because of, because of all of this, the Rebbe was very sought after for his advice and his blessings. And so you had, uh, jump in. So the, Re the Rebbe gave advice to um, businessmen, politicians, heads of state, heads of military. I mean, literally, like heads of government and countries would meet with the Rebbe to ask for, um, uh, for, for his blessing. There is a movie with John Travolta that came out years ago. He was playing like kind of an adaptation of Bill Clinton. Anybody see this? Came out years ago? Anyway, like, huh? Something, something. John Travolta plays a Bill Clinton-esque type of character. They're in the car and they're driving. They're in New York. 
And, and he says, where are we going today? He said, we're going to the Rebbe. This is why you can't win New York without the Rebbe. It was like a line. I don't know if that's actually true, but there's, there's a line in that movie about you got to get a blessing from the Rebbe before you win, you know, New York State. The point is, the point is that, um, that so many people went to the Rebbe for advice. And not only people of, you know, in, in, in positions that had global import, but individuals. By and large, most of the people that reached out to the Rebbe for guidance and advice were normal people. I say normal people. People like you and me. People that had questions about family issues, health issues, business issues. Should I sell the business? Should I keep the business? When should I retire? What should I do with my life? These are the types of questions that the Rebbe got. And the Rebbe answered people and counseled people without end. The Rebbe got more mail than the President of the United States. The mailman used to come multiple times each day with letters. Just as an aside, I heard this uh, from the secretaries. They bought the Rebbe a, um, a letter opener to make it easier. He opened up every letter himself. So he said, I'm not going to use it. They said, why? He said, because some of these letters are sealed with tears. You can't feel the tears if you use letter opener. It's just a perspective. So, so along those lines, this is what we're doing. That's a, kind of an intro to what we're doing. Uh, Mindy, yeah, jump in. And then we're going to be learning about the advice that he gave, but maybe throughout the course of the course, um, I was wondering if you could touch on this one question I've been approached. I, I mentioned this to you a few years ago. Um, somebody I know who's Jewish, actually, maybe slightly misinformed, <coughs> but we were having a conversation about the Rebbe, and she said, in her misinformed misconception of what she, she thought that the Orthodox believe that the Rebbe is the Messiah. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> this is, so I didn't even know how to respond to that. Is this is, that's going to put, that's, you know, we can schmooze after the class about like some. Like respond to somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but for right now, let's keep this, because we got, we got so much to get to mm -hmm. about work and wealth and, and some specific stuff. But we can speak about that. Yeah. Just a quick question. Were the, were the answers or were they more like theoretical? You know Very direct. Yeah, you'll see them. I mean, we're going to literally, that's what we're doing for over, over the six weeks. Okay, so let's jump in. And again, today's topic is work and wealth. I want to begin by uh, like taking the temperature of the room. What do we think is the Jewish um, perspective on wealth? So uh, the way we're going to do this is open up your booklets. But, uh, the books are still en route, so we have um, printouts. Open up your booklets to page number four. You see exercise 1.1, do you guys see that? Yup, page four. Okay, I'm gonna ask the questions and you tell me A, B, or C. Forget D, D is other, that's way too complicated. Okay, in your estimation, what is the Jewish religious view on work and career? A, it is, necess it is a necessary evil that provides us the means of serving God, studying Torah, doing, doing mitzvot, and being kind and charitable to others. B. It is part and parcel of our spiritual mission and journey. C, it is neither intrinsically positive nor negative, so long as we are honest in our business and do not allow our career to consume our lives to the exclusion of our spiritual life. So what do you think? A, is it a necessary, a necessary evil? B, is it a, a part of our spiritual mission? Or C, neither good nor bad, but depending on how we use it. What do you all think? B, C, B, B. B, B, wow, a lot of Bs, all right. 
Two, in your estimation, what is the Jewish religious view on affluence, on wealth? A, encourage, B, discourage, or C, depends. What do y'all think? A. A is what? Remind me. A is encouraged. Any other opinions? A, or is it A's? C. Okay. All right. Well, we will see as we go through this. Now, if you said, if you voted B on two, that it is discouraged, which I don't think anyone did, but conceptually, if you were pondering that option, you might have brought support from text 1A and text 1B. Diane, do you mind re getting us uh, started with some text inside? Page number five, text 1A. Jeshurun grew fat and thick. He grew fat, thick, and rotund. Israel forsook, forsook the God who made them and spurned the rock of their salvation. Now, this is from Deuteronomy. Basically, it's a Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, speaking prophetically about what will happen to the Jewish people. They're going to be successful, they're going to be comfortable, and in the wake of that comfort, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is they're going to rebel against God. They're going to forget about God and say, who needs God? We're making tons of money. What do we need God for? All right. Continue one more, please, Diane. One B. A, person, a poor person speaks with supplication. A rich person replies with impudence. There you go. So here we have the idea that the, a rich person replies with impudence, that, that, that arrogance, hubris, um, self-importance, etc. Based on these Versus one might conclude that Judaism um, has a, <coughs> a very cautious view on wealth, that too much wealth can lead a person um, astray, in other words, can lead them to not feel the need to have, to maintain, or to uh, possess a spiritual relationship. Again, what do I need God for, one might argue, if everything's going well in my life? You know, they say there are no atheists, atheists in a foxhole. Yeah, what about anti-foxhole? I don't know what that is. What if, you're, what if everything is well, right? Then like, so what do we need God for? <laughs> everything, is, everything is peachy. It's like the famous joke about the guy who's looking for the parking space. I'll say it very quickly. We all know the joke, right? Guy's late for a meeting looking for a parking space. He can't find the space. It's a very important meeting. He like pleads with God, like, God, help me out here. Nothing. He says, all right, listen, I'll go to Shul on Shabbat. Nothing. You know, I'll go to Shul for the next four Shab Shabbats. Uh, finally, a space opens up. He says, God deals off. I found the spot. Like, that's, that was the punch. There was a punchline in there somewhere. So, like, that's kind of sometimes how we view things. When things are going well, we're good. When they're not going well, right, we pray. So that, the same thing with arrogance, self-importance. Like, I, I, I'm the master of my own destiny as long as things are going well. I don't need, I don't need anything or anyone else. Um, this would, uh, um, you know, present a very cautious view on wealth, yet... The Rebbe, I think, really tuning into 20th century, but also 21st century um, realities, the Rebbe had a bit of a different mindset. Maybe, you know, Jewish leaders back in the day would have said, you know, it's better to be a little bit more minimalistic and you don't need so much, just too much of a distraction. The Rebbe was very much an advocate for going big, making it big, right? Wealth. Please read text two, page number six. This is from a conversation that the Rebbe had with the Kapishnitzer Rebbe when the Rebbe was being when at, when the Lubavitch Rebbe was being Menachem was comforting, uh, you know, was by the Shiva uh, and comforting uh, this other Rebbe. The Rebbe 
credit, Jewish individuals need to secure financial security, and that is an important, positive, and appropriate goal in and of itself, regardless of the additional imperative to fund Torah institutions in specific locations. Financial success enables Jews to live comfortably and expansively, and that will also enable them to broaden their perspectives for our sages' talk that a beautiful home expands one's mind. And they meant that in the most literal sense. If only all Jewish people would be wealthy. And then the Kapishman Mitzur Rebbe says, Wealth is a challenge. I fear the test that it poses. The Rebbe. Poverty is equally a challenge. If there must be a challenge, the test of wealth is preferable over that of poverty. God will certainly help us successfully withstand the challenge. See, this other Rebbe says, No, wealth is, uh, you know, it's, uh, wealth is too much of a challenge. The Rebbe's like, I'm paraphrasing. He's like, bro. He didn't say that. He's like, poverty is also a challenge. Let's choose, let's have halavai. We should have this one as opposed to that one. That was so the Rebbe's approach. The Rebbe always was, I think, such a forward thinking, like modern mind. Like, we got to go big. There's a lot of things. And if you look at the Rebbe's initial kind of presentation, you notice there's two points that he makes about the, the need for wealth. What are the two points that he makes? Point number one. What did you guys notice? Again, it was in text six that we just read. What was it? What's point number one? Why is it good to have money? Oh, so number one is to give and to support. Support Torah institutions, support synagogues, support those, you know, th- those that need. And what's the second one, Jake? Um, just to live financial yeah, to live expansively, to live comfortably. That's also a good thing, because now you have time to study, time to pray, and time to deal with things, and you're not chasing the bank. You're not chasing the dollar. You're not, you're not, like, you're not, you're not in a place of being squeezed. It's a good thing. So those, again, this is a, it's a very unique uh, um, thing. So i got to share with you what happened in 1955. And it's a while ago. But in 1955 on Purim, one of the most incredible things happened in 770 Eastern Parkway. That's the address of the main synagogue. So the main Chabad headquarters synagogue in New York the address is 770 Eastern Parkway, but everyone knows it as 770. So if you say 770, like everyone knows what you mean. You don't have to go Eastern Parkway. Yeah, we got it. There's no other 770. I know there is, but like it, for, all intent, for all intents and purposes. So in 770 in Purim 1955, something magical happened. The Rebbe basically asked whoever wants to be rich to raise their right hand. Here is what happened next. We'll start with Purim 1955, when the Rebbe spoke about the test of wealth, and then made an incredible offer. We were seen by a Fabrengen, and the Rebbe said that anyone who wants to become wealthy, raise your hand. Now, who has the audacity that I should ask the Rebbe about Gashmias? The Rebbe is for who is So most of the people 
wouldn't have the audacity to raise their hand. Reb Shmuel Isaac Popak was said to have raised his hand, a fact that he would never confirm or deny, although he always told the story. Six or seven people raised their hands, and they all became millionaires. This is a true story. I asked the Rebbe for a bucket. I had no promises at all. And the Rebbe told me I should go into real estate. Which I did. And I told the Rebbe I had no money. The Rebbe said, you don't need money to go into real estate. <laughs> so through certain maneuvering, we were able to buy two houses without any cash. That started us off in the real estate business. And thank God we made a living. Uh, yeah, he, I, he's since passed away. But he uh, was extremely wealthy. And he didn't have a penny to his name uh, beforehand, before this story. Just so you know. And he has been rumored slash basically confirmed to have been one of the guys to raise his hand. Anyway, so that's the story. The Rebbe was pro-wealth. He was pro-wealth, and for the reasons that we've, uh, that we've already outlined, and more as we'll see in today's, um, in today's session. So, to help us understand a little bit more the Rebbe's perspective on, on wealth, literally, you know, wanting people, asking people if they want to become wealthy, to take on that challenge, to understand where that perspective uh, comes from. Let's take a look at a perspective on work itself. Because the Rebbe's perspective on wealth was very much uh, connected and influenced by his unique take on work, on, on, actual, on, on going to work and, and, and having a job. You see, many people view work um, as, as a, somewhat of a negative. You know, maybe it's not, uh, you know, either it's a necessary evil, like we have to go to work in order to earn the money that we need to, you know, provide for our families, etc. And even if it's not uh, um, evil, um, but it's, it's something that we have to do and something that, you know, if we didn't have to do it, life would be better if we didn't have to work. Many people have that view. Um, and, that, and by the way, that influences the way we think about our jobs, our careers, what we do, what type of work we do. And even when we retire, you know, our attitude on work really affects a lot of, uh, a lot of our lives. The, the Rebbe taught and outlined a very unique perspective on work. And in short, the Rebbe taught that work inherently is holy. And I think many of you had that uh, when we did the poll question. I think many of you had that, had that take as well. That work in and of itself is inherently holy. And why is this so? For three big ideas that I want to share with you. Number one, okay, here's three big ideas. The first big idea is that work is the prime area of life in which the purpose of life plays itself out. So what is that? What, what, is, what do I mean by that? You see, according to um, Jewish mystical thought and Kabbalah, but also Hasidic philosophy, the purpose of life, God created the world and put us here in order to make, to transform the physical environment of the world into a home for God. In other words, to transform the material world, the physical world, into a space conducive to spirituality. So you got to deal with the world in order to transform it. You can't transform it from the outside in. you got to do it from the inside out. So what 
area of our lives is so heavily involved in the mundane, in the materialistic, in the physical, and that and we and and we can make an influence. Then we can make, we we can make a difference there. That's in the realm of work. So when we go to work, let's, let me speak very clearly. When you go to work, doesn't matter what you do, but you do the work honestly, and you're a mensch, and you know you and 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 you and you you go about your business in the right way. That itself transforms the the, the world of commerce, the world of business, that transforms the boardroom into a holy space. A synagogue is holy by default. The purpose of life is to take the other spaces in the world and transform them. And what does that to a tremendous extent? It's the work that we do, the businesses that we are involved in. Let's read text number three. Jake, please read text number three. Inviting God into the office. The Torah's perspective on Jewish life is puzzling. It informs us that God chose us from the rest of humanity and spiritually elevated us from regular people. That creates the impression that we must spend the majority of our time in sacred pursuits, studying Torah, performing mitzvot, and worshiping in the tabernacle, and later in the Jerusalem temple. Why then does the Torah itself establish that the majority of a Jewish individual's life is to be devoted to material pursuits in which there is no distinction between the Jew and anyone else? The explanation is that the purpose for which God created the world is that God desired that we actively turn this material world with all its corporeality and material coarseness into a dwelling for God himself. Through serving God in this world in accordance with the Torah that He gave us. To achieve that, the majority and the main thrust of our daily service of God is not strictly spiritual activities. After all, our spiritual activities are comparable to the divine service performed by souls before they enter the world and after they return to heaven. Rather, we spend most of our time specifically on interaction with materiality. Therefore, the Torah emphasizes, for six years you shall sow your field, etc. The idea is to bring sanctity and divinity down into our fields, the coarse realm of materiality, so as to turn our material and corporeal, corporeal world into a home for God. Thank you. So if you are a farmer and you're, doing, and you're farming in accordance with Jewish law, in accordance with Torah values, you are transforming the field into a holy space. If you're on Wall Street, you're trans, I know it might be hard, but you're transforming Wall Street, right? And the economy into a holy space, at least that corner of it. If you're into crypto, the same thing would apply. And whatever, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're an entrepreneur, whatever field you're in, you're an accountant, you're a, wherever you are, what you are doing can trans, can make the world into a home for Hashem, to a home for God, in a way that praying in the synagogue just cannot accomplish. So is work holy? You bet. Why? Number one, because it's the arena of work that is the space in which the transformation can happen, which is the purpose, spiritual transformation can happen, which is literally the purpose of creation. That's point number one. I told you three points. Number two, point two. It's in our work lives that we can really have an influence on other people outside of our immediate environment. 
I mean, think about it. How can we connect with people that are outside of our geographic location or outside of our sphere of friends? A lot of that is through work contacts. And if we are a mensch and we carry ourselves in a way of positivity, then that creates a tremendous influence. I want to share with you a video where, uh, which shows how the Rebbe guided two people to see their jobs as more than just work, but rather as an opportunity to literally help and inspire others. Here we go. Next video. I had just started a new job in IBM, and Ryan Davis comes along, and the Rebbe says on that day that everybody should be like a shir. I didn't know what the Rebbe mean, everybody should be a shir. Maybe he means that I'm going to quit my job and like start becoming a campus shir or something like that. I wrote into the Rebbe, should I give up my job for IBM? What is it that the Rebbe wants? The Rebbe like underlines it on the answer with a big, just one word, word answer. Lama, why do you have to give up your job in IBM? I want you to stay in those things and be Bashir. And that was what I ended up doing. I stayed in IBM. I had a very, very much career. So if you would give a warm round of applause for Mr. Moshe Rappaport from IBM. Well, I felt all the time that I was going to Shekhar. In other words, I would make speeches all over the world. Your desktop or on your wall, oh, you're going to be wearing and so on that are AI driven. But the real, also my career, I would write to the Rebbe of what was going on, what I was doing. Be secure. How are we going to manage the access control? Top people, CEOs, politicians, famous journalists, small over the world came to find out what I've been doing in research. I get to meet all these people with my uncle, with my beard, and so on and so forth. The Jewish people came over to me. And it was actually a shiach in that sense. Well, you certainly know that now Hong Kong is a visiting place for many Jews from several countries. And then we can influence that Jews, they visit in Hong Kong. When they are returning to their homes, they will bring with them a vision of your Shemite. And that will be doing your new business also. Yeah. 
והרבה עובדים שלי שלא היו ירי שמיים כשזה קרה, חזרתי תשובה. וזה הודות לכבוד הרב. The major exhibition that we exhibited at was in Brussels, was a major upholstery fabric international exhibition. Part of our display was knowing that if a Jew came in there, he knew he would get caught in trying me asking if he could put on film. The exhibition is going to be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Rosh Hashanah was coming out Monday night. They're coming from one half a day on Monday exhibition. It's a little bit crazy. On the other hand, I knew the Rebbe wanted we should always be at the exhibition. So we're going. Rabbi Kharakov let me know that the Rebbe suggested that we put up a sign at the beginning of the show that due to the Sabbath we're going to be closed at Friday 2.30. So the customers, they'll know in the beginning of the show, they should come into you right away. At about 1.30, suddenly I see a gentleman walking up and down past our stand where there's thousands of people walking. But I see he keeps looking at the sign and he's asking, tell me, what is this closing the Sabbath? It's an international exhibition. What's this closing Rosh Hashanah? I said, where are you from, sir? He said, it's an apprenticeship. I saw it, they what a Jew. So how about putting on film? It looks to me like I went crazy. Is it film? Who believes in all this? I don't believe in God, I don't believe in anything. He says, I went through Hitler. I never put on film, he says. I said, my friend, I understand you 100%. Once in your lifetime, you didn't have a balance, he said. You'd be able to say, you're right, God wasn't right to you, and you had a bonnet. He took off a jacket, and we put him on some. The minute he said to myself, he broke down and stopped crying. He said, it's Kennedy, he was holding us up, it's Kennedy. And he sat down, and he didn't know what to do, how to thank us. And you can imagine how we felt. Business, we didn't do that much, but we knew what we came for, and we knew we were going to have a good year. Powerful stories. <sighs> okay. Even if you can only touch one person, it was worth it. I mean, this is, the Rebbe had a vision of what work was. It's not just a job. It's an opportunity to, to be a shliach. It's an opportunity to inspire others. So is, is a job evil, necessary evil? Evil, it's an opportunity to connect and to, and to, to inspire. I, to, I told you, I'm still, we're still in the middle of three points. <laughs> Point number one, every part of business is an opportunity to transform the world into a better place. Number two, you can inspire others in your business contacts. And point number three, and this is probably the most obvious point and one that we mentioned before, going to work, and earning money gives us the opportunity to give tzedakah. And that is a major mitzvah. Let's take a look at text number five. Um, 
Mindy, I think we're up to you, right? Mindy, please read text 5, page 12. We skipped text 4, don't worry, you can read it at home. Text 5, page 12, take it away. one unique nation on earth. The implication is that even while they engage in mundane matters on earth, they do not separate themselves from the true one. It is therefore appropriate that we do not perform all of our mundane engagements for material ends, but rather in order to bring sustenance to other souls, pieces of godliness, and supply them with that which they lack out of gratuitous kindness towards them. In doing so, we resemble our creator, the one God, for God performs free kindnesses at all times, and his kindness is true, not for recompense, in that he animates the universe and all its contents every single moment. Thank you. So this is a bit of a Hasidic take, a philosophical take on the power of tzedakah, and essentially what it's saying is that tzedakah is such a unique mitzvah because it allows the human being to resemble the creator. I mean, think about it. What's the one thing we know that God does? God gives. God gives life. And so anytime we're in the mode of taking, that's not necessarily emulating God. But when we're in the mode of giving, that is when we really mirror and perfectly reflect God. God gives and we are also giving. But in order to give, you have to have. You got to have what to give. Hence the importance of work. Work allows us to earn money for ourselves certainly, but also allows us to earn money to share with others. So I'll tell you a story that happened in 1959. We don't have a video of this. Don't worry, I have another video that I'll show you soon. <laughs> Got plenty of videos. Now, this story happens in 1959. There was a turkey farmer in Israel who reaches out to the Rebbe and says, I have an opportunity to expand my farm. Should I do it? And the Rebbe says, what's the question? Absolutely, expand the turkey farm. Why? The more business, the more money, the more you can give, the more tzedakah. It's a simple equation. Let's take a look at text six. Oh, I gave away the response. The Rebbe wrote this in a letter. Whoops, my bad. Text six is literally where the Rebbe answers the uh, turkey farmer about the expansion. Linda, please read. You questioned whether it is appropriate for you to desire to further expand your income. That question has already been answered. 10% of one's earnings must be given to charity and ideally for those who wish to step beyond the basic requirement and enhance their observance, 20%. In fact, Rabbi Shmir Zolman of Leidy explains that it is appropriate to give even more than that. This is especially relevant now that the institutions that require our charitable support require expansion and therefore their financial needs are constantly growing as well. Consequently, additional charity is required, and that means greater So the turkey, thank you, the turkey farmer is asking, should I expand? Should I, in other words, should I be thinking about my work in a way of, let me earn enough to support my family and to support, you know, in this way, and the rest of the time I'll study Torah? Or should I be looking to expand the business and, and, and expand and, and make money? And, or is that a distraction? The Rebbe says, distraction? Expand, go big. The more money, the more tzedakah. That was, again, it's very unique. It may sound, it may sound like, yeah, what, what, what's wrong with that? From someone who's coming from a spiritual perspective, this take is very unique. Take a look. You guys know the brand Tafuti? Okay? Take a look at what the Rebbe said to Mr. David Mintz, the creator of Tafuti, when he was asking about selling off his business. Okay? Take a look. 
This course is, I can't, I'm so excited that you're here with me. This course, I'm like, this course is literal gold. All right, this is video four. One, two, three, four. Here we go. For some reason, I thought there was more of that video, but pretty direct. Someone asked before if like, we're going to get like, direct questions and answers. That was very direct, right? Very, should I sell the business? No, you can take investors, right? Sell a piece, sell shares, essentially, or whatever, you know, privately, but like, don't sell the company. Um, Tafuti did well. Yeah, amongst other things. <laughs> yes. Um, again, what we're seeing here in these videos is the Rebbe's kind of broader perspective, kind of a wide angle lens on work and wealth. It's not evil. It's not a negative. It's not something that's a drag. It's something that literally, it's an area of life that literally constitutes the purpose of being. It's an area of life in which we can connect, you know, deeply with, uh, connect with others and influence them positively. And it's an area that allows us to generate the funds that we can then use to support good causes. Three points. You got all three points? We're moving on. This leads directly into the Rebbe's view on retirement. When you know, many people would ask the Rebbe, people would ask the Rebbe all sorts of questions, including, you know, I would like to retire, or when should I retire? Um, you know, there's extra on page 15. There's a little A B C D. You know, when's the optimal age of retirement? 41 to 50, 51 to 60, 61 to 70. After, oh, you know, 70 plus. You know, when people asked the Rebbe about whether they should retire or not, the Rebbe would always give the same answer. No. <laughs> don't retire. He would always say, don't retire. Keep on working. Stay active. Why? For the same three reasons we explained, we discussed a moment ago. Number one, because, because work is the arena of life that we can transform the world into a better place. Number two, what about all the contacts? People that we can influence positively. Number three, generating income and wealth to be used for good causes. So retiring is almost to, on some level, give up on that. So the Rebbe was very um, encouraging of people continue to work. Now, 
with the caveat, obviously, if someone cannot work, you know, in that field anymore, and just like, you know, to, so then it's fine to retire, but to stay active, right? Always to stay active, find something else, and another area that you can influence others, generate income, et cetera, that's, those are always the preferred approaches. Here is a video of the Rebbe answering people on their questions about retirement. Here we go. Certainly continuing it, not as a shalom to to thinking about retiring. You must give much more money to get to give much more zvaka and to do so in good mood and good health to get to the hospitality. Thank you. Thanks for moving along well, and I'm not going to retire. Thank you. You guys know who that is. That's Ron Perlman. Oh. oh, the guy on the right? No, I thought it was someone else. Uh, well, he, that's uh, Scott Marshall's grandfather, Moshe Shemtov's grandfather, Rabbi no, Shemtov. He looks exactly, exactly, look exactly like his grandfather. Yeah. Okay, one second. So, time out. I, this is so much fun. Okay, so <laughs> I love this course. Um, so basically, that last person, who was the middle person? He looked so familiar. The person that ever said, you're young, 75. You're young. Like, what are you retiring? It's 120. The Rebbe, so let's just focus on that for a second. Like, that mindset is so incredible. The Rebbe wasn't kidding either. He was serious. You're as young as you feel, right? Be active, right? Be vibrant. So that's one point. The last guy that, that was on the video was Ron Perlman. You know who Ron Perlman is? Revlon. The CEO of Revlon. He owns Hummer. I used to go, when I was single and living in Brooklyn, so Ron Perlman, here's just, uh, this is not related to that, but just so you know, Ron Perlman is, was very close with the Rebbe because his rabbi from Philly was Rabbi Avram Shemtov. Avram Shemtov, the grandfather of Rabbi Moshe Shemtov from, from who's, who lives here. He looks exactly, they look exactly the same, red beard, and whatever. So, um, so Ron Perlman is, you guys know Moshe Shemtov? Um, whatever. So, Omar Ashi. Okay, so, so, this, so Ron Perlman 
you know, the Rebbe, so one of the things the Rebbe told him is wherever he is in the world on Shabbat, he should pray, he should dab with a minion. So I, I this, is a, this is a first-hand story. I used to go for two years. We used to go in December time. We used to fly from New York to St. Bart's in the Caribbean because he had a yacht called the Ultima Three, named after his cosmetic line, I think. The Ultima Three, Ellen Bar- he was married to Ellen Barkin then. And we used to, he used to put us up in villas, nine guys plus him for a minion. We used to come with food. Yeah, it was a tough gig. Yeah. What a tough gig. He would fly us. We would fly out on Thursday, I think, Thursday afternoon. We would get in. We would have our villas. We stayed in the Carl Gustav. I don't know if it's still there. I remember very clearly Carl Gustav on the mountain. We had our, each villa had its own pool. And, we, and he would come up. He had a security detail. He would come up. We would dive in. And then Saturday night, we would do Abdullah on the yacht. Wow. That was it. Not a bad gig to have as a single guy. I, that was... That was, huh? How long did you do that? I did it for like probably two winters. He, he used to go like, uh, like only a few weekends in December. It's about who you know. It's, I had a friend who was in the circle and he needed guys and so I made the cut. So that's, uh, in life, that's all, you know how it is, right? It's not what you know, do you know. So I made the cut. Those were the, those were fantastic. Anyway, back to the story. So, um, so, so Ronald Perlman, that was Ron Perlman. And he says, the Rebbe says, make sure you don't retire. You got to earn a lot of money. You got to give a lot of tzedakah. And he has given a tremendous amount of tzedakah. Base Rifka, the high school in Kranites, the girls' school in, not high school, the girls' school in Chabad School in Kranites, he basically, you know, funded all that. It's, he's given a tremendous amount to tzedakah and to Chabad causes. All right, so that, so retirement to the Rebbe was, yeah, not something to, to run after. It's very different. You know, like, we live in a society where, I don't want to harp, because we have a lot to get to still, but it's like there's, there are movements today of, like, how to retire before the age of, like, 30. There's a whole movement about, and that was so antithetical to the Rebbe's approach. It's like, why are you looking, like, if you, if you view work as evil, yeah, then you want to be done with it. But if you view it as meaningful, as transformative, as an opportunity to, and, and make a difference in the world, then then why, why run away from that, run into that? And just a bit of a different mindset, a uh, very different mindset. Now, uh, these, these ideas about why we work, we work to make a difference in the world and the difference in people's lives and to give tzedakah, that informs how we work. It's like every why and how. The why always informs the how. So if, if the why of, of our work is you know, to make a difference in the world, then how we're working will be radically affected. And I want to share with you four points about how the Rebbe encouraged us or people to work. Um, a lot of people wrote, I mentioned this before, a lot of people wrote in and, or asked the Rebbe in person uh, about you know, work not going well and, and having, finding difficulty in earning a living and, and feeling very anxious. The Rebbe was always very much an advocate of uh, trust in Hashem. If you believe that what you're doing is part of a higher mission, then you have nothing to be afraid of. You have nothing to be anxious about. That doesn't mean that there aren't difficult patches and, 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 t- and tougher times, but to remain faithful and trusting in Hashem and God is the most important thing. So let's read now text number seven. Um, Eve, please read text seven on page 16. 
In God we trust. I received you. Oh, no, sorry, the other Eve. <laughs> and you, you, guys, you guys happen to be in the same vector line over here. <laughs> no, no, no. I received your letter in which you write about your anxiety in regard to the question of Parnassa. You, you surely know how often our sages have impressed on us the importance of trust and confidence in God in order that we realize that all difficulties encountered in life are only trials and tests of a passing nature. To be sure, the question of Parnassa is one of the most difficult tests. Nevertheless, God does not subject one to a greater test than he can withstand, as our rabbis expressed it. According to the camel, so it's load. Oh, the very trust in God is a vessel and channel to receive God's blessings, apart from the fact that such confidence is good for one's health and disposition, and therefore is also a natural means to the desired end. Thank you. I love that last point. There's, we could really spend like, I don't know, 10 minutes just unpacking this one response, and this was um, a letter that the Rebbe wrote in 1959 to someone that was obviously struggling with, with uh, you know, financial challenges. And the Rebbe's point was, you know, you trust in Hashem, have not just faith that God could, but trust that Hashem will provide. Um, and he says the last point, which I, I don't know, I, I love. He says, it's not just that trust in God, you know, is a spiritual, you know, a good spiritual thing to do to, you know, uh, to be worthy of God's spiritual blessings. If you trust, your whole disposition will be more positive and then you'll probably be more successful in a job interview if you come in with confidence and, and come, and, and you're more likely to make a deal or to be able to make a sale, again, if you are coming from a place of confidence and, and, and a place of security as opposed to a place of anxiety. On a very practical level, this is good advice. So again, this is just one example of the countless numbers of examples. You should know that the, the two areas that the Rebbe got the, I believe, that the Rebbe got the most questions about were money and, and, well, maybe there's more than two. I guess all six, right? But it was money, health, and family. I mean, those are like the major areas, right? So money, it was a major area of, of concern for many people. And, you know, people asked, and the Rebbe would always advocate, advocate trust. Number one, trust in Hashem. Number two, the Rebbe was, as you can imagine, encouraging of people to, um, to not uh, have their businesses open on Shabbat, the day of rest. Um, and again, if, when you see it from, uh, as a part of this a larger, larger picture, if work is not just about working, but it's about fulfilling my mission on earth and about making a positive impact on others and earning money to give tzedakah, if it's part of a kind of a spiritual worldview, then working on Shabbat would be not congruent with that entire approach. So let's take a look at a letter that the Rebbe wrote. Barbara, please, re please read this one on page 17, text 8. The Rebbe wrote this letter in 1961. It's from an English letter. Some of these letters, by the way, so you know, were translated from Hebrew or Yiddish. The Rebbe had, um, the Rebbe corresponded in many different languages. Yiddish, Hebrew, French, Russian. Um, did I say English? I don't know, I meant to say English. So this is one of the English letters, direct. Please take it away. It is clear to the unbiased mind and seeking to explain common sense that the Almighty, who is the giver of the Torah and the is also the creator and master of the world. 
the benevolent providence extends to everyone in the beginning. It is also equally obvious that no lasting good can come from breaking God's laws, especially such a fundamental law as Shabbat observance. But the important thing is not how much money a person earns, but that he should be able to spend it in good health and on happy things, which is entirely in the hands of God. In view of the above, it is quite clear what your attitude of the businessman in question should be, even if there were no other immediate business proposition. It is necessary without delay to give up the kind of business that interferes with Shabbat observance, with the full confidence that he who feeds and sustains three brave people and all living things will also be able to take care of the individual and his family and provide him with a source of parnasa, which would not be in conflict with the will of God. So pretty direct. Imagine a world in which there were only three billion people. <laughs> that was a while ago. There's like 8 billion, I think. I think we're up to 8. We're getting close to 9, maybe. I don't know. Either way, the point is, the rebel is very clear. He's like, look, I mean, if you view life as part of this, you know, interaction, this larger, you know, experience, this, this dance with Hashem, then you probably, you know, with God, then you want to be dancing on the same, uh, on the same, in, on the same beat. You want to be in lockstep with the divine will. And number two, he says, look, you might, you might think that you're earning more money, but the question is, what do you spend it on? And a lot of that is outside of our control, right? The things that come up are certainly not, it's, it's, uh, you know, we don't have to get into details, but certainly we know that we have spent money, sometimes a lot of money on things that we would have rather not spent money on. And the question is, you know, that uh, certainly we, we would rather earn what we need and, what we, and, and, and have the blessings in a way that does not, uh, that, that, that is uh, without any difficulty and challenge. All right, so now let's play a video where people speak about um, how the Rebbe influenced them to close their businesses on Shabbat. I start the store, morning store in downtown Los Angeles, 3,000 square feet store. I really seriously was seeing myself like, want to close the, the store on Shabbos, want to walk on Shabbos. But it was difficult to think like this because most of the business you're doing on Shabbos. There was some Shabbos I used to sell $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 on Shabbos. And in the week, barely, I can sell $100, $150. Now the contract, the lease I have, I was obligated. 20 years lease, the owner, he warning me in the beginning, if you ever was thinking to leave this lease, I'm gonna run after you to the rest of your life. I'm not gonna let you go out from me. So I wrote to the Rebbe, told the Rebbe, I decide to close my store in Shabbos. I would like to have a blessing. I should not get hurt. I'm getting a letter. And in the envelope I open, I see $18. And then it says, Matchil Nikodem Shkiyat Achama Vegadol Askut. Shnaim, Lafitz Tatora Mitok Simcha. Shalosh Latetz Daka Shama, to get Zdaka at the money what he gave me. The next day I said, I'm going to go to the landlord and I'm going to give him the lease and the landlord was not there. I came back to my store. There is a guy walking to my store. He wants to buy the store, he's telling me. 
So I told him, go to the landlord. He's telling me, I was with the landlord. He said, what the landlord told you? He said, you're holding the lease. He took a checkbook and uh, he wrote me a nice check. Just can tell you, this check, I bought a house and I started manufacturing. And I remember going to the Rebbe and on Sunday I told the Rebbe, Rebbe, I got a miracle with the store. The Rebbe was laughing and he went like this on my mouth, like, don't talk about this. I had started my practice on the Watts Avenue and things looked very bleak. It wasn't going anywhere. I remember having a friend. I happened to have mentioned to him that I was having some problems. This young man suggested that the Rebbe would be able to help me. And I made an appointment with the Rebbe. I started to tell him I wasn't doing well here in Brooklyn and I was able to find a place in Bayside. I was going to be starting an office there. He said, do you, do you work on Shabbos? And I said, yes, I do. And he says, now you're going to a new place. He says, you're moving. Perhaps you want to think about not working on Shabbos. It became known that Dr. Walensky did not doesn't work on Saturday. And it was unheard of. Dr. Walensky goes to a shul. I was very successful financially, very successful. Even in the way I lived my life, I felt uh, more satisfied, more, more at ease, very satisfied with being Jewish. Okay. All right. We're closing in toward the end of, huh? It's very, yeah, it's very, very powerful uh, um, stories. Okay. So that's a little bit about Shabbat. Uh, two more points. We're in the middle of four points. So again, point number one. Maintain trust in God, that God will provide, and be confident. Number two, don't forget about Shabbat. Number three, Torah. The third point is about Torah. If I'm working for God and God is in control, then finding time to study Torah is only going to help me in my business, financially, etc. Torah study will never take away from the money we earn. On the contrary, it will only bring more blessings. Um, the Rebbe said that many times. There is a text, text 9, but in the interest of time, I will paraphrase that. Text 9 essentially says that Torah clears the mind, allows business to run, uh, uh, the person to run more clearly, uh, um, and, and, and have a, uh, to, to accomplish more and be more successful in the business um, and, and generate more wealth. So in other words, Torah study is not just good spiritually, it's good for the bottom line as well. Um, the fourth point is again, just to, just to uh, um, reiterate a point that was mentioned before, but in a bit of a different context. We said before that 
<coughs> one of the whys of work, the reasons why work is so important is because we can generate the money to give to, to tzedakah. When people were asking blessings for success in their business, the Rebbe would often say, again, trust in God, close on Shabbat, make time to study Torah during the day or even at your desk for a few minutes, five minutes. And number four, make sure to give tzedakah from the money that you do earn. Make sure to give charity. Um, and the Rebbe advocated for a tenth of your net profit to give to tzedakah, and that makes, um, that, that enlists God as a partner in the business. I'm going to read a quick text, text number 10, page number 20. Take a look. Um, the Rebbe writes in a letter, again, page 20, text 10, I hope that from now on you will realize more fully and confidently that God is your partner in the business by virtue of the tzedakah, charity stake in it. And of course, the larger the share of tzedakah, the larger is the share of the partnership. So you can go boldly ahead on a broader front. I hope to hear good news from you. In other words, the more tzedakah you give, the more you bring God into your business, and that can only be, again, a net positive. Um, another video about the Rebbe encouraging people vis-a-vis tzedakah. Here we go. I didn't realize I have an appointment I have to go to. Are those videos online for your channel? They are? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No. Thank you. It took a it took a quick back and forth to clarify what the Rebbe had said to that guy. Like, I don't know. I was wondering that myself. I haven't had a chance to do research into it. Turns out that's what we call the internet. No, I'm kidding. No, I don't know. That was Al Gore. No, I don't know what he what he uh, what he created. All right. So again, tzedakah is an affirmation that God is involved in the business, the source of the blessing, and that we're enlisting God into into the work that we do. All right. So. Here I want, to, I want to kind of summarize and, and share a few ideas for practical resolutions and takeaways from, tonight, from today's session. So today, number one, we got a glimpse into the Rebbe's worldview and how he advised so many people in the areas of work and wealth. Number one, three points. Work is much, at work, sorry, work is in truth a holy endeavor. Um, it gives us the platform to transform the world into a more godly place. It gives work. Number two, gives us the opportunity to interact with others and, um, and positively influence others. Number three, work gives us the opportunity to earn money and give tzedakah. So is work a necessary evil? No, work is a gift. It's a gift um, to be able to accomplish all these things. And knowing this transforms how we work. Number one, we work with full 
trust in God, even when times are difficult. Number two, we don't feel the need to work on Shabbat, knowing that God will provide. Number three, we take time out during the day to study Torah, recognizing that that keeps us tethered to the source of our income. And number four, we give tzedakah generously and consistently from uh, the, the profit that we make, confident that investing in our divine partner is good business sense. So with all of that, um, it's no wonder that the Rebbe viewed wealth, going back to the beginning. Remember the Rebbe's conversation with that other Hasidic rabbi about whether people should be wealthy or not wealthy? And the Rebbe's like, everyone should be wealthy. We'll deal with that challenge. It's no surprise that that was the Rebbe's take because the Rebbe saw too much opportunity in the, in the world of business and, and, and in the arena of, of, of money to think small-minded and uh, you know, wish uh, the opposite of wealth on everyone. Um, so some practical, I mentioned some practical um, uh, um, resolutions that we might be inspired to take be, uh, due to today's session. Number one, find times during the day to set, set fixed times um, uh, during the day, whether it's the morning, the evening, or even the middle of the day to study Torah. It could be five minutes at your desk, but that will transform the area of work, the, the space of work that you do. It will be transformative. So that's one that's one thing. And, and by the way, and that time should be fixed. In other words, if somebody wants a meeting, you're like, well, I can't between, you know, 1130 and 1135. I got, I got my 1130, right? That's a standing, doesn't have to be 1130, 130. Whatever, whatever that is for you, it should be set. Number two, host a Torah study at your office. So instead of, in, not instead of, in addition to studying Torah, another suggestion is if you have an office if you're in a building in which there are other Jews, then it would be a, um, an incredible opportunity to create a, a lunch and learn or Torah study at your place of business. I do this. There are big, massive corporations, including Coca-Cola, that I teach at, that I do lunch and learns at. And so it doesn't have to be so big. It could be on any level, you know, uh, a law office or whatever it is. If you, if you have a place where you can host and you're interested, let me know. We can facilitate a rabbi or someone to lead that. It could be monthly, it could be quarterly, whatever it is. Um, that is an opportunity, again, uh, uh, to bring Torah into your work life. And number three, third um, idea, suggestion for a practical resolution based on today's session is to put a tzedakah box on your desk at work, right? Even if you work at home, but put a tzedakah box, a charity box on your desk. That way you've, you're, you're integrating tzedakah with your space of work and kind of uh, creating that relationship. Um, I, 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 and that, that pretty much concludes the, the session today. I do want to make one more point. You know, we, we've been talking about how so many people came to the Rebbe for so many different questions. And, you know, one could ask, I, I was thinking about showing this video at the beginning of the class, but I figured let's just get into the wealth conversation and then maybe at the end we'll do this. So let's do this now. Very quickly, one more video to show you. you know, the question of how was the Rebbe able to answer so many different questions that so many different people had? How was the Rebbe an expert on business and whether Tafuti should sell or not sell? I mean, it's crazy. And, and next week we'll see about you know, family and relationships and marriages and parents and children and, you know, all, and then health. And should I have a Rebbe? Should I have the surgery or should I not have the surgery? The doctors are giving me both options. How could the Rebbe answer all these questions? How, where did the Rebbe get this insight from? Here is... Another video, final video that I wish to show you. I think this is coming up correctly.
Rivka Blau is the daughter of Rabbi Mordechai Pinchas Tice, a prominent rabbinic activist and chief rabbi of Elizabeth, New Jersey. In 1961, she was vice president of Yatna, one of the first Orthodox student organizations on American college campuses. Our mission statement was that we wanted to promote Jewish learning and Jewish observance on campus, and that we wanted to, I can't, I don't remember the exact wording, but that we wanted to enable people who want to know more about their Jewishness to find out, but we knew we had to know more if we were going to be that kind of a presence on campus. It was essentially Jewish learning, Jewish observance, not to feel so alone. And that if people wanted to learn more, we would be available to help them. Those were pretty much the, that was the essence of the mission statement. And at that time we already had, I think, between 13 and 15 uh, college groups involved. And, um, and we also had isolated students in different places. At Rutgers, we had three or four students. At the University of Pennsylvania, we had some students. Now, at that time, the Lubavitch Rebbe had a representative who would come to Columbia and who got friendly with the president of Yavne, uh, Joel Levine. And this young man, uh, his last name was Filler, um, uh, told Joel and me, well, actually, he told Joel first, and then Joel told me, that he wanted to meet with two officers of Yavnet and to talk to us about how we had gotten started and what we were doing. Our appointment was for 10 o'clock at night, so we came to 770 Eastern Parkway at um, 10 o'clock at night, and we were asked to come in to see the Rebbe at 12 o'clock. And he asked us many midnight, midnight. detailed questions about how we had started, how we had found each other, what we were finding on campus, what were the problems, what were the possibilities, what opportunity was there for people who were interested in finding more about their Jewishness? Uh, how can we reach them? Uh, what did we find worked well? What did we find? What we found did not work? Very, very to-the-point questions. At the end, he said, well, I've asked you a lot of questions. Would you like to ask me some questions? And I, I had no questions to ask the Rebbe. I was thought that this was a wonderful meeting that we had just now had. And I said, no, thank you. And the fellow who was with me said, well, yes, I've spent a Shabbos or two here in Crown Heights, courtesy of this uh, young man that I know from Lubavitch. And I hear all kinds of wonder stories about you. I hear that you know better than the doctor whether it should be surgery or not. You know better than the lawyer which way to proceed in the case. Do you know more medicine than the doctors? Do you know more law than the lawyers? I mean, what kind of thing is this? So the Rebbe smiled, and um, he said, you know, when a house gets built, uh, the architect draws up a blueprint, he gives the blueprint to the contractor, and then the contractor tells the plumber how to do the plumbing, the mason how to do the masonry, the electrician how to do the electricity, the electrical work. He said it's not that the contractor can do it better than everybody, but he can read the blueprint, and that's why he can give you instructions. So he said, Hashem is the blueprint of the world is the Torah. So if somebody can understand the Torah, he can tell other people what they have to do within their own metier. Friends? Huh? Yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. Blau? Oh, she stayed in my basement just recently. Her? For the wedding, wasn't that for the... Oh, I don't know. Maybe a relative. The Ratner's... Uh, oh, it might have... Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. The husband is like at YU. Maybe. Yeah. I have to look up that. 
Interesting. Yeah. Okay, we have to look into that. That would be amazing. Okay, that would be very cool. Um, all right, so that concludes the lesson. Um, my friends, I think we're fortunate to have this wealth of, of, of wisdom and this repertoire of advice that we are um, you know, unfolding in this course. We have one lesson down, five more to go. Next week is called, fam- the, t- the title of the class is Family Bliss. Um, so we leave the office, as it were, and we head home for next week's class. The question is, you know, how can we build a strong family in a society that doesn't always value, doesn't necessarily value strong family units? Uh, what makes a family strong? Um, how can we repair strained relationships? What are some things that we can do right now to bring our families together? So join me next week as we uh, gain more advice uh, for life from the Rebbe's teachings and guidance, letters, and stories, and videos. Same bad time, same bad channel. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Um, one of the points, like, close